Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Father, we, we just invite your Holy Spirit's presence to come. Come right now. Do in us what only you can do. We just pray and invite you to, you're welcome in this place. And we're so thankful for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so today we begin a new series. It's a four-week series that we're calling Orbiting a Beautiful Life. And the idea behind this little series is simple. We want to ask you the question, are you orbiting the life that God wants for you? And so we're going to start pretty basic. Let's consider the most obvious example of orbiting. Planet Earth's orbit around the sun, right? So for those of you that are scared of space, just stay with me. We're going to, we'll be all right. But here I have an image for you, the Earth. The Earth and all of its planets in our solar system, they circle around the sun in their orbital path, and they never get any closer to the sun, which we're thankful for because otherwise we'd burn our faces off. We know that. But physics describe it this way. Physics describe an orbit as a gravitational path that an object stays within relationship to a certain point in space. So although it's obviously a good thing, right, in the scientific makeup of creation, which got powerfully created and ordered in the hanging of millions of stars and planets, which we should all take a collective pause and go, wow, God, good job with the universe. Pretty, pretty amazing. You did a pretty great job. I celebrate the orbital path that we're in as a planet and, and, the, and the universal laws of physics. But in this series, we aren't talking about space. We we're talking about your life. And are you orbiting around the life God has for you? And I think we'll say it this way. I think I think we orbit for a lot of reasons, and we orbit a lot of things. So to be clear, let me help paint a picture of what we're talking about. We orbit to stay close enough to feel connected to it, whatever it may be that we're orbiting, but far enough away to not feel responsible for it. We orbit to stay close enough to feel connected to it, but far enough away to not feel responsible for it. Some people do this with their families, (laughs) unfortunately. We're close enough to stay connected to them, but please, I need to move a couple states away so I don't feel responsible for it. Some of us do this with exercise. We have a gym membership. (laughs) We pay a monthly bill, but we don't ever go to the gym, right? We just orbit. We stay a little close. But when I was a kid, I, uh, I picked up skateboarding for a few years, and I wanted to become great. So I scraped together all my birthday money, and I went and bought a Tony Hawk skateboard. I got the skater clothes, I got the shoes, and I started to learn how to do a few tricks, and I got good enough that I could actually go start skating with pretty good skateboarders. And, and one day, I went to the skate park, though, and it was a skate park that had the pools, you know, the pools that you, you soar through and you fly through, and you're like losing your mind as you go through it. Well, I pulled up to the edge of that pool, and you have to do a thing if you're gonna if you're gonna go into a pool or you're gonna go into a half pipe. They do a thing called dropping in. You guys know what I'm talking about? You have to drop in. And I, I literally stood there frozen, unable to drop in because I knew if I did, I knew what would happen. I knew the skateboard would fly out from underneath my feet. I'd go flying, and I would probably hit my head on the edge of the pool, and I'd be in a coma for 10 years or something like that. Like we didn't wear helmets back in the 80s, guys. Like that's the way it was. Can I get a witness? No helmets. How many know that you can ride a bike without a helmet? But that's just me. Um, <laughs> But, but nonetheless, I didn't do it. And so what I did instead is I backed away from dropping in and I, I pulled to the edge of the skate park, right? And I stayed a safe distance away. 
and went to the edges. And instead of dropping in and instead of even learning how to do it, I chose the fringe. I chose to be close yet far at the same time. And there is a mental gap, right, that stopped me from growing. And that became my orbital path. And this is, this is kind of a silly example, but this is what we do with God. We stay close enough to feel connected to him, but far enough away to feel, res- to feel the responsibility of the type of life that God has called us to live and the kind of faith he's called us to have. We build up a mental gap that says, this is the way my faith is going to be. This is going to be my orbital path, and this is where I'm going to stay. We live on the fringes, unwilling to drop in and to become all that God has called us to be. We orbit the life that God wants to give us. So God and faith really is probably one of the most obvious examples of one of the things that people in this world orbit around. We stay close enough, like I said, to feel connected to it because we probably have a belief that God exists far enough away to not feel responsible for it, but more importantly, far enough away to not be identified for it. Because once you're identified as a God person, <laughs> as a religious person, as a Christian, right? Once you're, once you're identified as someone that might be passionate about Jesus, that terrible, terrifying title, once, once people in our life that are outside of our church world see us as that, well, then there's a whole expectation placed on us, right? Of who we're going to be, how we're going to live, how we're going to talk. And that can be terrifying to a lot of us. So what do we do? We, stay, we keep a close enough distance from those titles in order to stay safe, right? Now, I realize this doesn't describe all of us. I know some of us don't feel this way at all, but we all understand orbit. We all understand what I'm talking about. And let me just show you an image of kind of to give you a little bit more. Like we have this, this picture, right? It's really simple. We're asking you, where do you fit in this little image? The center represents the beautiful life. Are you meant to live, kind of the space where we're meant to live with connection to God and to his purpose. Orbit is this gravitational path, distance from the life that we ought to be living. We're close, yet we're far. And distance is what it sounds like. It's distance not only from God, but from the life that you really want. And some of us feel like we're a million miles away from where we want to be. Some of us feel like, well, I can kind of see it, but I'm not quite there. Some of us feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am finding myself really close to the things that God's called me to. And I think a lot of ourselves, though, we find ourselves, next slide, we find ourselves in this place called here, and we're trying to get there. <laughs> and we're like, how do I get from here to there? We don't really know how because we just find ourselves drifting through orbit. And the mental gap that we've created keeps us from getting any closer. And so this is a really simple idea, but I've, I've thought about this idea for a long time. In fact, for many years of my life, this, this image has been in my, in my mind about how, how we just find ourselves really just circling around the things that we really wish we were doing and becoming. We're going to be unpacking what we mean by a beautiful life throughout this next four weeks. Uh, the tagline of this series may be a great way to kind of open that up. But what we're doing these next four weeks is we are discovering the heart of faith from the fringes. We're discovering the heart of faith from the fringes. So many of us do live on the fringes. We live what we think is a safe distance, if you will, from people, from commitments. How many of you guys know that we can live, we try and put ourselves at a safe distance from commitments, right? We're afraid of commitments from faith, from risk. And the heart of faith is really what we're going to be describing as the beautiful life, which is really this DNA, this core of who you are being connected, not only to God, but devoted in faith to Jesus Christ. So many of us live on the fringes because we feel intimidated by this whole concept of faith. 
And the concept of spiritual growth is even kind of intimidating because a lot of us come into a place like this or maybe you, in life you feel like a hypocrite. You feel like, I know who I'm supposed to be or I know what God calls me to be, but yet I keep doing this other thing and I keep living this other way and we feel like a hypocrite. We feel like a God fraud. <laughs> Everybody say God fraud. You know what a God fraud is, right? Like it's the imposter syndrome that we can all feel whenever we come to church and we feel like everybody else is more spiritual than we are. It's the imposter syndrome that we can feel like whenever we didn't grow up in church, but everybody, so everybody else knows all the Bible stories that they learned when they were kids and you're like, I'll never know all those stories and so I'm always behind and I'm never gonna catch up. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or, maybe, or maybe it's that person, right, which you're like, you know what, I, I watch them worship, they get their hands lifted, and they know how to move with the music, and I'm one of those that kind of stands still, and I stand in the back, and I might get one time, one sway in a month, right? And you're like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like them, I feel separated from them, I don't feel like I'm measuring up to them. And we compare ourselves spiritually by what we see on the surface, and we don't know the heart. And so we're, we're, we're continually asking ourselves, man, I, I don't even know if I belong, I feel unworthy, I feel, I, feel, I feel shame, I feel unknowledgeable. I just wanna tell you that's the enemy talking to you. That's the enemy saying those things, telling you that you don't belong, that you're not spiritual enough, or that you're not as spiritual as them. The enemy causes us to compare. And I just want you to know as a pastor, I am the king of all God frauds. Meaning I know every week I, I battle with the idea like, am I spiritual enough to do this thing where I get up and talk about God in front of people and try and encourage them? I mean, that's crazy because I know who I am. I know that I fall short. I know that I'm not enough. But I have to tell myself, and so do you, I have to tell myself the good news of Jesus every day because Jesus says, you know what, you're not enough, but I am. Jesus says, you know what, I have come to give you something that, can't, that you can't give yourself. Jesus says, I've come to give you a life that you really, really want, but you will never achieve on your own. It's called a beautiful life. It's a life with me where you're connected to me and we're an intimate relationship and I'm, I'm giving you something that you can't give yourself. He says it in John 10.10. 10. John 10, 10, he says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Because what is he doing? He's whispering to you that you're not enough, that you're not good enough, that you don't belong. He wants to destroy you, wants to take you out. He wants to tell you that you don't belong, that you're a God fraud. But then he says, Jesus says, that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is not just talking about eternal life, which, by the way, is enough if he was talking about eternal life. But he's talking about also, thankfully, life in the here and now. And he's saying, listen, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. The King James Version, another version of the Bible, it says life abundantly, which I always have liked that phrase, life abundantly. The Greek phrase for life abundantly is a super abundance of life. Everyone say super abundance. That sounds so good, right? I want a super abundance of life. And it's only through Jesus that that life can be experienced. John 10, 10 is not some promise of just material blessing in life. He's not just trying to give you a new house or fill your closet with new things. That's not what he's doing. That would minimize and trivialize the meaning of what's being said. This scripture is a promise of a superabundant life with God in the spirit, full of meaning and significance, which is divinely empowered only through the person of Jesus Christ. Life to the full is the beautiful life. So where are you? Back to that image, where are you? Are you in orbit? Are you further out? Maybe you feel distant from God, from life? And here's what I wanna say is you don't even have to answer yet. But I'm hopeful that over the course of this series, over the next four weeks, you'll find an honest assessment of where you fit 
and where you are with God. Does that mean you have to be smack dab in the middle, perfect? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think it's, I do think an honest reality check of where you are and the path that you're choosing is it's, it's essential for all of us. Because God's saying, I have more, I have a life to the full that I wanna give you. In this series, I wanna share, I wanna share the gospel. The gospel is a very simple word that means the good news of Jesus. And in today's world, many people find themselves in orbit because they've never really understood the gospel. And I don't want to assume the gospel. I don't want to, I don't want to just assume that everybody here knows the gospel because I know many of us, we don't really understand it. Or maybe many people in this world don't fully understand it. And we feel stuck. We still, we feel stuck in the fringes because the gospel is a little murky for us. And I don't want to be guilty, like I say, of assuming that everyone in here understands it. So I want to back up and simplify. And so we'll just start with the fact of the word gospel means the good news of Jesus. And maybe you've heard the word gospel before. Maybe you've heard of Jesus before. I assume most of us have heard those things. But what does that really mean? Maybe you've heard Jesus died on a cross and you're like, okay, that's great. But what does that mean? And maybe you've heard about Jesus died on a cross for your sin and you're still a little bit confused. Or maybe you know what that means and why did God do it that way? And there's a lot of questions that start coming up, even for those of us who have been in church for a long time. Like, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And why does that forgive me of my sins? Maybe you know that somehow you're supposed to punch your ticket to heaven through Jesus. But you're like, how does, how do, why, why does that have to happen that way? So maybe you've heard a few things Maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've heard a lot of things about Jesus and about the gospel, but you haven't fully understood it. And so as a result, you find yourselves in sort of a fringy relationship with God. Everyone say fringy. fringy. Say it like you mean it. Say f- you can even hold the N. Fringy, right? Fringy. Yeah, there you go. So today's message, I've actually called it a fringy humanity. It's a fringy humanity, that we have a humanity that loves to live on the fringes. Why? Why do we love to keep enough distance from something to feel connected to it for our sake, but far enough away to not feel responsible for it? We love the fringes. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, not only can it not be assumed or overlooked, but you can't say, well, I believe in God, And therefore, you go get to experience the life Jesus promised. Doesn't work that way. To experience what Jesus promised has to go through what Jesus, go through Jesus himself. To get what Jesus gives has to go through Jesus. But so many people try to get what Jesus gives by not going through him. They just want to go straight to God. But God said, no, 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 I sent a mediator called Jesus. And you have to go through him. The gospel is the fullness of God's truth and love coming down to meet you in your brokenness and your sin and your desperate need for God to rescue you. You have to understand, we all need rescued. The gospel is God reaching down to you through the outstretched arms of Jesus, wanting to pull you up out of your lostness, out of your hopelessness, out of your confusion, out of your despair. And when we choose to reach back and grab a hold of the the arms of Jesus, when we choose to hold back and grab a hold of the life that he offers, we become connected to a new life source. It says in John 15 that he is the vine, we are the branches, meaning he is where we find life. He then begins a new life with us, a life of faith, hope, and love. 
Now, to really talk about the gospel, though, because everything I just said there still probably doesn't quite make sense. We have to go back to the beginning. We have to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> Everyone say the beginning. We have some clear moments that explain the what, why, and how. Because sometimes when we're stuck in the fringe, it's because we have a belief. We have beliefs and we have a measure of want to, but we're lacking something. We're lacking the what, why, and how to. And Genesis chapter 1 helps us a lot. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in that passage, there's no explanation. There's no attempt to prove God. It simply says, in the beginning, God. There's, there, there's no, hey, we've got to explain God here. There is just the, the, the truth spoken that there was a God in the beginning. And for many people, I believe this is acceptable. Most of us, most of the world believes that there must be a God. I mean, there are a few people who doubt him. There are a few people who, who wonder. But there's only a small percentage who truly deny that there's a God in this world. But nearly all people, deep in their conscience, deep in their heart, they believe there must be a God who created all this, right? I mean, someone may ask, well, can you prove God? And the simple answer to proving God is no, you can't prove him. You can't prove God in a test tube. You can't prove God by some definitive proof. But all the evidence in this world suggests that God must exist. All the evidence shows us whenever you look at the stars of the sky or, or you look at the creation of this world or you see the birth of a human child, you're like, everybody says the same thing. Wow, there must be a God. In the beginning, God. That's where the story begins, that God created it. He created us. If we jump down to Genesis 2, verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord God, this is the creation of man. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So imagine this dirt man lying on the ground. And, and the breath of God enters into the dirt man, and he becomes a living being. Now the Lord God has planted a garden in the east, in Eden. Everyone say Eden. Mm -mm -mm, Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Now God would go on and he'd create Eve. And Eve would become, of course, Adam's partner. And together they were placed in Eden to care for all of God's creation and to care for the garden itself. Perfect union. Think about this. Perfect union with God. Right? Everything was good. Perfect union between man and woman. Even perfect union between man and creation. There was no brokenness in it. Genesis 2.25 says, Adam and his, Eve, Adam and his wife <clears throat> Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Everyone say naked. naked. Good. <laughs> you guys don't do anything. <clears throat> now, why do I say that? Why do I, why do I read that verse? Because they have no shame. Because there's no sin. There's nothing that makes them feel ashamed for what they've done. They feel complete, perfect unity, not only with God, but with creation and with each other. By the way, and with themselves. Now, we don't know how long this perfect unity existed, but we know eventually, eventually Adam and Eve were tempted to disobey God. And we know this story. Chances are you've heard it. But this story of Adam and Eve in the garden and this fruit that they eat of, right? Genesis 3, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read this really quickly. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So if you know the story, there was one tree that God said, it was the tree, of no, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, you can't eat from that tree. And the woman said to the serpent, oh, no, 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 we may eat from any tree in the garden. But God did say, yeah, you must not eat, tree, eat uh, fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is so important to get. Why did God put a tree in the garden? God, God had to place a choice in the garden for Adam and Eve. Because God created us out of love and for love, and love is always a choice. Someone would ask, well, why did God put a tree there just to tempt them? It was like he knew they were going to fail. He's like, no, no, if he doesn't put a tree there, there's no love. If he doesn't put a tree there, guess what? We're all just robots programmed to do what God says. But instead, God created us for relationship. And so without a tree, there's no love. But with the tree, there is a choice and a relationship. But here's what happens, and this is the bad news, right? When the woman saw the fruit of the tree and that it was good and for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate of it. She chose, right? She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate of it. He chose as well. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Oh, my gosh, things are changing, right? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, man, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. This is, I mean, seriously, wow, like the immediate impact of sin. He's, he's ashamed, he's afraid, and he's hiding. Immediately. I wonder for us, how many of us feel that in our own life? Shame, fear, hiding. We all feel it. You know why I know we all feel it? Because we've all sinned. Mental health experts currently or constantly speak of shame and, and fear and, and hiddenness as debilitating effects of not only our brokenness, but even of our sin. And this, is, this changed everything. Something that was broken, something that was perfect before is now broken. And you can't make something perfect once it's become imperfect, no matter how hard you try. Because this moment in humanity, right, it has allowed evil into the heart of man and woman. But because of love and because of choice and because God created us in his image, he couldn't just reprogram us as robots and start over. No, he had to actually, from this point forward, he had to find another way. Because he needed to restore something that was broken. So what does God do? Genesis 3, 22, 22 and 23. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life, which is a different tree in the garden. He can't eat from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So God, God had to force them out of his garden as a result of sin, and he placed them outside of Eden. Humanity is now east of Eden. 
And ever since then, humanity has been fighting back from the fringes. We are a fringy humanity because of sin. Sin is the first thing that separated us, distanced us, and put us outside of the beautiful life that God created for us. And ever since then, we've been fighting from the fringes, and sometimes we give up and we just have a mental gap and we stay right where we've been separated. This is the first moment of separation, space, and distance from God, and it's caused by sin because sin is the source of all separation and brokenness. And in this account, we see it so plainly, don't we? We see that God and humanity, which once had a perfect union, was now broken. We see it between man and woman. There was no brokenness between them until the sin. Remember, if you know the story, Adam blames Eve. Remember? There's a brokenness that comes, animosity between man and woman. Even even man in creation has a brokenness that occurs. I didn't read this part just because there's so much to this story. But God had to kill two animals, right, to take the skins of those animals to give them clothing to hide their shame. So from this moment on, there's a brokenness between God and humanity, man and woman, creation and man itself, and not to mention humanity and ourselves, because we now feel shame. There's brokenness inside of us, and we feel shame for our sin. The sin is the source of all separation and brokenness. In fact, God told Adam and Eve, didn't he, that their sin would cause death. He says, don't eat from that tree. You're going to surely die. Paul says it later in Romans 3. He says, for the wages of sin is death. He says, it's going to cause you to die. But the love of God, the love that created us and put a tree in the garden, put us in the garden, created this life for us, was not finished. Even though a death sentence had been levied, love was not done. For centuries, the love of God has been creating a way for people to find their way back to Eden, to find their way back to this perfect relationship that God wants to have with us. And for a long time, He would create it under the promise that he was going to be sending a savior, a rescuer, a redeemer. And remember when Jesus came, what did he say? He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He's trying to restore something that we've lost. Through the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the very end of Revelation, there is this consistent narrative thread of God's love. It's constantly there that God loves you, that God loves me, no matter what you've done. Even though you've disobeyed him thousands of times, he still loves you. He knows every hair on your head, but he also knows every struggle you have, every fear you have, every bit of shame that you carry. He knows it all, and he loves you anyway. In the Bible, the the word love is translated a few ways. There's the word eros, which is a sensual love, a sexual love, erotic, right? And eros, love. Then there's another kind of love called phileo love, which is like a brotherly love, like the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, that's a phileo love. And then there's a third word for love, though, that the New Testament writers had to come up with because they had no word to really describe the kind of love that God has for people. And so they came up with the word agape love. And they used the word agape love because they're like, there's no human relationship that understands this kind of love. It needs a word all of its own. So they created this word agape love to describe the divine love that your creator has for you. He says no one can experience that kind of love outside of Jesus, the beauty and the thrill of God's love for everyone, no matter what you've done. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world. By the way, this verse, this verse is like the gospel in as small of a nutshell as you can make it. Now, there's there's more, the the whole book of, uh, or the whole chapter, John 3, is like a mini gospel, by the way. 
But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. So he's now he's saying, hey, you're not going to die, but you have everlasting life. And we're talking about eternity here now. We, we have switched gears to an eternal life. Jesus came in order to give us a way back from the fringes. He came to give us life. He came to give us a way back to Eden, a way back to renewed relationship with him. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He wants to save us. But how many of you know that to be saved, you got to realize you need a rescuer? And so many people, they go through life and they have no idea how lost they are or how much they need to be saved from their sin. He wants to rescue us from the wages of sin, which is eternal death. Realize we love to talk about how there's eternal life in Jesus, but if there's eternal life, there must be eternal death. In a few weeks, we'll go deeper into the idea of eternity. We'll talk more about it, but God wants to save us from an eternity separated from him. And why does he want to save us? Because he loves us. And just like God had to sacrifice animals in Genesis to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. Remember that? I mentioned that. God had to kill these animals to cover their shame. And just like that, but in a much more significant way, God had to sacrifice his son to cover the sins of the world. It's Jesus that will cover our sins. It's Jesus that will take away our shame. It's Jesus that took the place of the death that we deserve. And it's Jesus that'll give us a way back to Eden. So perhaps we can look at it like this, the gospel. It's a four-part story. You have creation, you have the fall, you have redemption, and you have renewal. Those are the four parts of the gospel. God created, we have to start there, right? God created, in the beginning, God created. Secondly, we experience the fall of humanity. This, in this, language, this is the language we use to describe when sin entered the world and we fell from the perfect unity that we had with God and we fell into a, spate, a state of despair where we needed to be rescued from it. And so enter in Jesus, the Redeemer, who came to give us redemption, to restore the brokenness, to fix the problem. And Jesus came and he rescued us, saved us from that fall, from that brokenness and that separation. And then renewal is simply the life that we have with God after redemption, that we are joining God in the renewal of all things, that we are being made new in Christ. And here's the thing about this story. It's a four-part story, but so many people live a quarter story. They live a half story. They don't live a full story. Some people are like, heck yeah, God created the world, and they don't, they don't apply the rest. That's a quarter story. Some people say, well, yeah, God created and Jesus saves, but they don't like to talk about sin. They live a half story. Some people, they like, I love to do good things in the world. I love to renew things and make things better, but they don't want to acknowledge God. They don't want to acknowledge sin. They don't want to acknowledge Jesus. They're living a quarter story. Thankfully, here's what I'd say is no matter who you are, no matter what your religious background is or faith is at the current, most of us are living a partial story with God, which, which means we've all been invited into the whole story. We're all invited to it all. 
But you have to ask yourself, am I living a quarter, a half? Or am I living the full story of the gospel? Have I accepted the good news of Jesus into my life? The full story says, in the beginning, God created the world. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only through Jesus that we find eternal life. And lastly, we are joining God in the renewal of all things. That's the story. That's the gospel. Now, I realize many of you, you probably know this story, or maybe you've heard it before, or you've heard parts of it. And you're like, I kind of already get this. And I've heard so many stories, though, of people over the years who've been in church for a long, long time, and they've never really encountered the gospel in their life. They've never really come to grips with it. They've never really embraced it. They've never fully understood it. And they've realized years after the fact that they were just lived a life where they were orbiting around God. They were orbiting or they were distant from God for years, and they've never acknowledged their need for Jesus in their life. They've never taken a clear step of obedience to choose to love God back. People who've been in church in years who have never, never publicly professed their faith in Jesus. When I was, when I was young, I went to church. Um, as a child, I was baptized at the age of seven, but I didn't actually regularly attend church until I was 14 years old. And for a year, I went to church knowing deep in my heart as a teenager, I knew deep in my heart that I did not have peace with God. I didn't have a relationship with God. I, I, just because I had had a spiritual experience when I was a child didn't mean that I really knew God. And it took me a year to realize what was going on in my heart, all the doubts that I had, all the questions that I had. It took me a year to realize that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So after a year of everyone assuming that I was fine, everyone assuming I was a good Christian, I walked down an aisle on a Sunday night and I told my youth pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. And for some of us, that's the story that we have. We have a spiritual experience. We don't have a relationship. And of course, there are some of you who have not been in church for years. You're new to church. And you're like, I don't even know what to make of all this, how to navigate, what to believe, what to do. I want to make something very clear today, if it's okay. I want to make salvation clear. What is salvation? How do you do it? Well, first, this is th three things I'll share with you. First, you have, you have to repent of your sin. That's the very first thing to salvation. You repent of your sin. Jesus called people to repentance of their sin and to believe in the good news. He said, if you don't repent, you're gonna perish. So what does it mean to repent? Well, first of all, the word repentance comes with a really simple thought that you say you're sorry. That you say, God, I'm sorry for the sin that I've committed. And I, so have you ever said sorry to God? Like really meant it. But then repentance also means that I'm gonna turn away from my, my life and my sin, and I'm gonna start walking towards God. So that's the first thing, you repent of your sin. The second thing, it says that you, by faith, you must receive Jesus as your savior, by faith. The Bible says that by grace, you have been saved through faith. You may not fully understand what I mean by that, but you don't have to actually fully understand because faith is an act of belief beyond reason. That doesn't mean you have to check your brain at the door like a lot of atheist groups say. You don't check your brain at the door because there's actually a lot of logic and there's a lot of wisdom when it comes to a life with Jesus and to a life with faith. But there is a spiritual renewal that happens to the mind when you come into a relationship with Christ. Your mind begins to think differently and your eyes begin to see differently 
And it says that the things that are unseen become known to you. So that's the second thing. By faith, you must receive Jesus as your Savior. You need to acknowledge that you need a Savior. And thirdly, you must confess with Jesus. Excuse me, confess Jesus as your Lord and King. You must confess that your life is under a new authority. That Jesus is your King. You know, Jesus has announced, repent and believe for the good news of God's kingdom is at hand, is here. He talked about God's kingdom all the time, and everybody knows that every kingdom needs a king, and Jesus is that king. Meaning we have to come under his authority. We have to be submitted and humble under him. Matthew 10, 32 says, whoever will confess me before others, I will confess before my father. Jesus says, you must confess me, right? You must confess me to the, to the, to the world that I am the Lord of your life. In other words, you can't be on the fringes. In other words, you can't, you can't be traveling with God at a safe distance. It can't be anonymously his. Let me ask you, are you orbiting today? But maybe you're only orbiting because you never really knew the gospel. Are you at a distance from God because you're not sure how to drop in and go all the way with him? Are you living a quarter story, a half story? Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever surrendered, if you will, to faith in Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever confessed him as Lord before God and others? If you haven't today, you can. I want to lead you in a moment where you can choose God. I want you to remember that God put a tree in the garden because without that tree, there is no love. And God placed Jesus in the world because without Jesus, there is no love. There's no love without Jesus. But when there's a choice, when there's an opportunity for relationship, it's the presence of his love. And if you just think of it that way, that Jesus and his outstretched arms reaches out to you and he offers you life. It's a choice to grab a hold of that. It's a choice to step into it. So I want to invite you to pray. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads? God, I just pray right now that you would move in hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to open up a childlike faith in this room. I want to ask you a question, a question that's as real of a question as you'll ever get in your life. But do you know with certainty that you've received God's gift of salvation? Do you know it? And I don't want you to worry about what other people think. I don't want you to worry about maybe the confusion that you've had over the time. I just want you to just answer that question. Do you know with certainty that you receive God's gift of salvation, that you confess Jesus as Lord of your life? And if you aren't certain, and if you want to choose him today, if you want to live the whole story of God, if you want to drop in into the thrill of a relationship with God, I can lead you in a prayer right now. It's a prayer of repentance, faith, and commitment. If you're ready to choose Jesus, I just want to invite you to just repeat this prayer. This prayer is not in the Bible. It's not a magical prayer. It's just just a prayer. It's a heart's cry to say, I need rescued. And Jesus, I'm coming to you for it. Because it says, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
this is how this prayer begins. I'm just going to let you in. If you, want to, if you want to receive Christ today, if you want to invite him into your life, it's real simple. It's a prayer. And it starts like this. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In fact, I'm going to invite everybody in the room to pray with us. Even if you've prayed a prayer like this before, I want you to pray in agreement with those who are praying it for the first time. So everybody say, Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your first time, I want you to mean it. I want to say that one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. And I'll say, I'm sorry for my sin. I ask for forgiveness and I repent. I place my faith in you as my savior. I confess you as Lord and my King. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. Heads bowed, I just wanna, I wanna invite you to just be bold for a second. No one's looking around but me. But the, the scripture does say that you need to confess before others as well. So do you just have the courage here in just a moment to just raise your hand? No one's looking but me, so this is a really simple version of that. You just get to do it before me today. And then maybe after this, you'll do it before the others as well. But if you just prayed that prayer for the first time and you just received the good news of Jesus, would you just lift your hand as I count to one, two, three. Just lift your hand up wherever you're at. Go ahead. That's awesome. I see a few of you. It's amazing. God, thank you for that. For those of you who maybe have already prayed that prayer before, or prayed a prayer like it, maybe you've given your life to Jesus unquestionably, can I just tell you that the beautiful life, the life of the full, it is a free gift, right? But it does require learning how to drop in to the thrill of a relationship of a life that's not lived on the fringes. I want to encourage you to draw close to him. I want to encourage you to make more of Jesus so he can make more of you. God, we just pray in the name of Jesus. I thank you for those who just prayed that prayer for the first time. I thank you for each and every person in this room that just was encouraged by the gospel today. Lord, may we go and draw close to you. Thank you for the beautiful life that you promised. Thank you for the life to the full that you promised. But Lord, we just, we, we just pray that, Father, we would, we would be a church. We would be a, we would be a community. We would be a people that learn how to seek and run and go after you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of Jesus Christ pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.